Well, today uh, we are going to jump into a brand new series. It's going to be a two-part series, pretty small, but I want to talk about spiritual warfare. And the title of our series is called Spiritual Victory, because what I'm trying to do and what I want to accomplish is to give us the proper perspective on spiritual warfare. And so today I'm going to teach on how we can guard ourselves from the, quote, attacks of the enemy. And then next week, the title will be Dealing with the Demonic, how to deal with uh, the influence of the enemy, the demonic, deliverance ministry, and just to have the proper perspective and how to do that. But let me pray and ask a blessing on our time this morning, and we'll dive right in. So Father, I thank you so much for the team. Thank you so much for our people, those who are gathering under the roof there at Southgate and those who are with us on Zoom. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the opportunity now to worship you and to open up your word and to hear from you and to receive revelation. Thank you for the blessing we have of this church family. And now as we preach, as we teach, as we share insights that you have given, Father, would you go before us and bring us an individual word we ask in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Years ago when my son was probably two, two years old, uh, we were living in a two bedroom condo. And what we did in his room is we put a, a little child gate at his door. So that way we can leave his door open. We had a video monitor to keep an eye on him, but it allowed him to move around in his room, but to not be able to leave the room and in the middle of the night, wander into the kitchen or the bathroom or get in trouble in somehow some way. Well, a couple nights in a row, he was having uh, this kind of terror, this scare. And around two, three o'clock in the morning, I would just hear him screaming at the top of his lungs. And of course, I jump out of bed and run over to his room, and he's there up against that gate, looking over his shoulder as if something's in there. And you know, you just felt this presence, you just felt something not right with it. But as I looked in his room and as I prayed with him, I, I couldn't find anything. And this happened every single night. And so finally, one night I stayed up and I said, I'm gonna catch whatever this is going on. I don't I gotta roll up the spiritual sleeves and get to work and cast out some demons if I have to, but I'm going to figure out what's going on in his room. So sure enough, at the same time, he started screaming. I run to his room. And what I discovered is that he had an alarm clock that his grandma had given to him. That was the character of Lightning McQueen from the Disney movie Cars. So it was this race car alarm clock. And when the alarm went off, it was the sound of an engine revving. So for whatever reason, when he got this gift, it was automatically set to two o'clock in the morning. So every night at 2 a.m. out of nowhere, this car starts revving its engine and it really sounded like growling. It sounded very mean. And my son had no idea what it was. So finally I show him and I said, look, this is what was happening. I set the alarm. I said, this won't hurt you. And it's just a toy and you can sleep good. And even though I showed him that I turned the alarm off, he still wasn't convinced. So what I had to do was remove the batteries so now we just had a decoration, but not an actual working clock. And once I removed the batteries, he had this piece that, yeah, I can sleep now because without the power, without the batteries, that thing can't harm me, that thing can't scare me anymore. And today, as we dive into this new, this new series, Spiritual Victory, I want to teach the correct perspective and that we as believers really, really have to understand without any shadow of a doubt 110% in our hearts that the enemy has been defeated, he's been disarmed, he has no power. One, one preacher said that 
If the enemy's been defeated and disarmed, that means he has no feet and he has no arms. All he has is a mouth. And that's so true. All he has is a mouth. All he has is influence. And in a sense, he has no power, no batteries. It's been removed. He's ultimately just awaiting his final fate of the lake of fire, eternal punishment. We're just waiting for that to be done with. But on earth, all he has is an influence. He has his doubts, his lies. He's the father of all lies, as it says in John chapter 8. He's a deceiver. He's a tempter. But he cannot hurt us. He has no power. That has been removed. And Christians can do the world a huge disservice when we act as if the enemy has power, like, oh, the power of the enemy, or I'm under a heavy attack. And we use language that can do more harm for Christians than good. And we have good intentions, but we have to be careful to have the right perspective and not give any service, any any props, any type of, uh, of attention to the enemy. And it's my prayer and my goal that by the end of this two-part series, that we really have the confidence in our hearts to really believe that the devil can be a non-factor in our lives, that we can ignore him completely and just operate in our authority and take care of the work of the enemy, but ignore the devil and his demons completely. One of the biggest errors that we have in the faith and amongst church circles is that even though we're new covenant believers, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have authority from on high, we are ambassadors of Christ. Even though we're new covenant Christians, our theology for spiritual warfare is still stuck in the Old Testament. We have to remember that when Adam and Eve were created and this world was created, God put them in the garden, which was a symbol of the kingdom of God. He said, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the world. Basically, Adam and Eve's job was to expand the kingdom of God until it, in, it covered the entire globe. But we all know that the devil was there in the garden, and he tempted Adam and Eve to do what God told them not to do. He, he wanted them to get through sin, what they already had in God. They already had his love. They walked with them in the cool of the day. They had intimate relationship with the Lord. They had no sin, no shame, no sickness, no separation whatsoever. But somehow the devil convinced them to sin. Now, I've heard a lot of questions about if Satan, who was once Lucifer, son of the dawn, Lucifer in heaven, an archangel of worship, how was he able to sin? And that brings some fear to some people because they think if an angel can sin in heaven, then when I go to heaven, can I sin? Can I get kicked out of heaven? Now, here's my theory. And again, this is not Bible. This is just how I would assume it to be. We know that angels can be ministering agents. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus battled with the enemy in the wilderness for 40 days, he rebuked the devil, he left, and it says angels came and ministered to him. So it's my personal theory that Lucifer was sent to the Garden of Eden to be a ministering angel to Adam and Eve. But angels are created beings. They're eternal. They cannot be saved. Therefore, they can't have the relationship that humans have to God. They are servants. They, they worship God. They serve God. But they can't get saved and have an intimate relationship with God. So it's my theory that Lucifer saw the intimate relationship that Adam and Eve had, and that's where he became jealous and prideful, like we see in the book of Isaiah, where he says, I will ascend to the throne. He was upset and he was jealous. And because of that, he tempted Adam and Eve on earth, not in heaven. 
and therefore was refused and not able and rejected, not able to come back into heaven. So that's just my thought. But after Adam and Eve sinned, symbolically, they handed the keys of the kingdom over to the enemy. And all throughout the Old Testament, Satan had power and destruction. And you and I are still experiencing the ripple effects of that first fall today. Even though we're under a new covenant, not everybody's saved. There's free will in this world. Bad people make bad decisions and they do bad and evil things. And we're still seeing the ripple effect of that. But it's the enemy using people's own free will and their own power against them, not the enemy's power in itself. And I know that this is elementary. We know that Jesus died on the cross. He completely defeated the devil, took the keys of the kingdom back, gladly gave them to us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have authority. We have identity. We understand all this. But even though it's elementary and simple, it's amazing how many believers still use the vocabulary of a defeated Christian or, or still use language that somehow gives power and, and intimidation to the enemy when that shouldn't be whatsoever. And so we need to learn how to guard our hearts. We need to understand how to have the correct mindset and perspective. And I want to share this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. And this is the encounter. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 4 as well. But I want to read the account in Matthew. And this here is where the enemy comes to tempt Jesus. And I want us to pay attention to how he tempted Jesus. Because if he was to do that to the Savior of the world, how much more would he do it for us? So again, that's Matthew chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Reading out of the New American Standard, as always, we're going to go about 11 verses here this morning. Getting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written. Notice how Jesus is fighting back with the Word of God. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. See how the enemy knows scripture as well. And the enemy wants to use an almost truth. The devil's using scripture and twisting it to try to tempt Jesus. Now, you don't use counterfeit money that looks like monopoly money. You use counterfeit money that looks almost like the real thing. And the enemy is constantly giving us a lie that's just barely a lie, just enough to get us to doubt and to fear and to believe a lie. But like a bank teller, they don't spend time studying counterfeit bills. They spend time studying the real thing so that when a counterfeit comes, they know easily how to spot the difference. You and I need to do the same thing. Not only do we need to be in the word of God, but we need to know it so well that even if the enemy were to try to twist it, we could spot the counterfeit. So the enemy is fighting back with the word of God. He says, for it is written in verse six, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse seven. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to Jesus. So where Adam and Eve, they sinned and they hid from God. The same temptation in the garden was the same temptation that we see with Jesus. But Jesus rebuked the devil, cast him out. He said, I will worship God alone. And the result was the angels came to minister to him. So Jesus modeled for us how to stand in his identity, how to guard his heart properly, how not to receive a lie or get doubt or fear in his heart, and to get rid of the enemy once and for all. And so it's not in your, your bulletin here today. I wasn't able to get uh, these notes, but I believe that the enemy, quote, attacks us. Again, he has no power, but what he tries to do with his influence is go after three specific areas in our hearts. So if you're taking notes, the first one is that the devil attacks our perspective. The devil attacks our perspective. It's so key to have truth in our heart and the correct perspective, period. One of my uh, spiritual heroes is Corey Ten Boom, and many know her story, many don't, but she was a watchmaker in Holland with her family, and she was hiding Jews during the Nazi invasion. And she was hiding teenagers and, and taking in babies from the orphanage and all types of things to help God's people. But one day there was a knock at the door and this little old man said, my wife has been arrested and I need roughly $200 to bribe the police to get my wife back. If I don't, she'll die. And so Corey Ten Boom, she was able to rally the neighbors and get the $200 and gave it to this man. Problem though, was that this man was a traitor and he told on them. And before they knew it, there was a knock on the door and it was the police. And Corey Ten Boom and her father, her brother, and her sister were all arrested, thrown into the prisons and the concentration camps. 11 days later, her elderly dad ended up passing away. She watched her sister slowly starve to death. And then her brother, who eventually got out, but because of injuries sustained while in the concentration camps, he ended up dying as well. So her whole family was killed because of this one traitor. And one day in the concentration camp, she actually saw the man that had betrayed her. And he got caught and arrested himself, and he was thrown into the prisons there, awaiting his fate. And she remembers his hatred came upon her, and she was praying because she was convicted about the scriptures that talk about forgiving others. And so she told God, I can't. I have no room in my heart to forgive this man. My family is dead because of this man. And what the Lord spoke clearly to her heart, he said, I will give you the forgiveness that you need. She was able to forgive this man. She had a conversation, and she was able to lead him to the Lord before he was ultimately killed. And see, God supernaturally gave her forgiveness, a new perspective, in order to carry out his will. And we see other situations while she was in the concentration camps. One, one time she was in a bunkhouse with many women, and it was infested with fleas. And at first she, she thought, I can't sleep. I'm getting bit. There's fleas everywhere. This place is disgusting. And she complained about it. But what she noticed is that weeks were going by and the Nazis never came to her bunkhouse. They never bothered them because they themselves didn't want to be covered with these fleas. So they left them alone. And that allowed Corey Ten Boom to have basically a house church, lead people to the Lord, have Bible studies, and just to marinate on the word of God. So what was once a bad circumstance, she now had a new perspective to help her see that what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it around and use it for good. And we have to have that same thing in our heart. 
that no matter what circumstance we face in life, we got to hold on to truth. Bible says in John chapter eight, verse 32, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, not set you free, but make you free. There's transformative power in having truth hidden in our hearts. And you know, the reality is we have to fight hard to get truth in our hearts, but to get negativity and fear and doubt in our heart, we don't have to try at all. You simply need to turn on the news or go on Facebook for two minutes and you'll get all the negativity that you need. I mean, in this world, we're constantly getting bombarded by voices and influences. They want to try to put fear in our heart, but it's up to us to keep our faces in God's word, to keep filling our hearts up with truth. You know, for myself personally, I make it a very strong discipline and habit in my life to keep truth and testimony in my heart. As we're battling COVID, the, the moment we found out that my family had COVID, I said, okay, let me make a list, a list of every one of my favorite healing scriptures. And let me make a list of a few stories of God supernaturally healing people. And I went over this over and over and over. And even though I'm still battling getting through to my healing, I'm not gonna allow my heart to become fearful I'm not going to allow my heart to become discouraged or filled with doubt or any of that type of thing because I know who my God is. He's done it before and he'll do it again and he'll heal my family. Don't know why it's taking as long as it's taking, but that's not for me to worry about. My job is to stay firm upon truth and we have to keep our minds renewed if we want to keep ourselves away from the influence of the enemy. Uh, Bill Johnson has a, a wonderful quote. He said, you know, when your mind is truly renewed, when the impossible seems logical. And that's my encouragement to us that the first wave of attack that we'll see with the enemy is our perspective. But we have to keep our minds so renewed that even things that seem impossible begin to look logical because of the supernatural faith that we have in our God. So the enemy wants to attack our perspective. The next thing he wants to do is to attack our position our position, our authority, our identity. The devil wants to attack our position. We need to know who we are in Christ, period. Uh, back in 1834, I believe it was, uh, there was a proclamation done in Jamaica where enslaved people were free. The law changed and now it was illegal to have slaves. And there was a revivalist named William Nibb who launched a massive revival. I mean, they started this revival with a giant grave and they threw in uh, just the different tools and whips and chains and different things uh, that these slaves were constantly being bombarded with. And they buried it and they chanted, the monster is dead, slavery is dead. And it launched a revival in Jamaica where over 100,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. But the sad part about this story is that reports came from the inner part of the island in the jungle, in the places that were very remote. And there were still some slaves that had no idea the law had changed. And so for years, there were some people who were slaves still, even though the law had changed. The slave masters did everything possible to keep that information outside of their property. And for years, these poor people were enslaved when they simply didn't have to. And the same thing is true for us today, that Jesus completely freed us. He changed our identity. We have become a new creation in Christ. But if we don't allow that truth to fully formate in our hearts, then what ends up happening is we believe lies of the enemy 
we, we think less of ourselves, we start questioning whether or not we have power in God or not, and we allow the enemy's influence to completely bombard our worlds. It, it's just unnecessary. And if the enemy would go after Jesus, how much more will he go after you and I? Three different times in Matthew chapter four, we see that the enemy said, if you are the son of God. Back in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, he said, did God really say not to eat of this tree? It's this constant doubt trying to slip into our hearts. And uh, we simply cannot accept that. We have to stand true upon who we are. And what's so interesting in the gospels, uh, Jesus healed people, he raised the dead, he cast out demons. But if you read the different accounts, isn't it interesting that every time Jesus physically healed the sick, he said, be quiet, hush, just go and show yourself to the priest at the temple and you could be ceremonial, clean, but be quiet. But every time he cast out a demon, every time there was a deliverance, he said, go and declare it. And the demonic in, in Mark chapter 5, who was possessed with 2,000 demons, he wanted to go with Jesus back uh, to Jerusalem and, and, and say, I want to be with you. I, I want to be a part of your ministry. And Jesus says, no, you need to stay here and tell people about your story. <laughs> this guy was filled with 2,000 demons yesterday, and today now he's a mighty evangelist. But isn't it strange that Jesus said when you get healed physically, just praise God and thank him. But when you get delivered of the enemy, tell everybody. It's a message that needs to be heard. And we have to understand that we have to declare our true position, that we are new creations. We have power. The enemy doesn't. You know, one example is of a police officer where they have a gun, handcuffs, and they have a badge. Now, the gun is not what gives them authority. The gun is protection. What gives them authority is their position, the badge. That would put them on another side of the law. That's what gives them the authority to carry out and implement the law. It's their authority. And we have to understand we have been clothed in authority from God. We should not fear the enemy. We should not have doubt or fear in our hearts. You know, as, as next month, we're getting to the point of spooky season with Halloween and we'll see the decorations and the goblins and the ghosts and the vampires and all that kind of stuff. You'll see a couple haunted houses. Now, I'm not sure whether I believe those or not, that there might be some actual haunted houses that have demons in them and so forth. But you and I, being new covenant believers, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we should have the type of confidence that if we accidentally stumbled into a haunted house, that we would ruin that business because we carry the presence of God and there could be no fellowship between light and darkness. Just you carrying the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, into a demonic situation should cause demons to flee. It should cause darkness to run away, just you being you. And that's the type of confidence that we need to have. We need to have the correct perspective and stand on truth, keep our minds renewed, but we also need to be firm in our position of who we are. The enemy can't touch us. We are completely God's. We are his children, protected by him and empowered by him. So we have to have the understanding of our true position. And finally, the last thing that the enemy attacks and goes after is our peace, our peace. The devil wants to attack our peace. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says, my peace, I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give my peace. It's supernatural. 
Now, peace is so incredible because we all want it. We all need it. We all need to be walking in the peace of God, even in a world that's so crazy and unpredictable and all that's happening both in our church and in our world and in our politics and overseas. Lots of craziness is happening right now. But what we need to understand is that peace in our hearts is an indicator. If we're walking in peace, that means we're staying connected to the presence of God. We're staying connected to his voice and to his word. But if we find that we left our peace somewhere or we're lacking peace, that's where we need to say, time out. Something's off here. Something went wrong. I either believed a lie or I, I had doubt creep into my heart or I backed off from pursuing the presence of God. Something happened where my heart was invaded with not truth that caused me to lose my peace. So if you ever find yourself in a place where, where you, you're lacking peace, let that be an indicator that something's off and you need to press in to the presence of God to find out what exactly that is. These three things are very simple, but it's our responsibility to keep our hearts guarded in our perspective, in our position, and in our peace. These three things we need to exercise like a muscle, like a supernatural, faith-filled muscle, constantly working on this, filling our hearts with truth, reminding ourselves and declaring who we really are, our position, and checking our heart to make sure that there's peace and to make sure that we're operating in peace, constantly working in these three things. And when you exercise that muscle and it becomes formative in your heart, you're going to see some transformation. You're going to see some breakthrough in your life. You're going to see things happen easily and naturally when you're in alignment with God and who he says you truly are. And let me just close our, our time here with this testimony. It was several years ago, and I was in the back seat of the church I was currently on staff at, and I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's one of our ushers, and he says, you're needed in the cry room. I said, why in the world would I be needed in the cry room? That's a little room that has a two-way glass where our moms can go and nurse their babies, or if babies are crying out, they can go into that soundproof room and still see the service, but babies won't, you know, interfere with the service. I said, why in the world would I need to be there? And sure enough, I followed the usher, and there's another pastor in that room, and there's a mom and what looked to be about a 17-year-old kid, and he's got this strange look on his face. And the pastor says, hey, this is so-and-so, and he's dealing with some demonic influence. And we wanted to see if you can pray for him. And so I look at this kid square in his face, and I just start declaring truth over him. I, I declared that he was a child of God. He, he knew the Lord all of his life. And so the love of God was in him. He was not being possessed. He was being oppressed. And he had to rise up in his authority. And he starts foaming at the mouth and growling like a dog. And he slithered down to the ground. And I just continued to just, I mean, attack this kid with truth, reminding him of who he was. And in just a matter of like a minute, he started declaring truth. And we, see, we saw this kid be completely free. Now, I didn't have to go to battle with this kid. I didn't have to, you know, uh, say to the demon, what's your name? And, and battle with the demon. I'm not going to waste my time. I have the power. The enemy doesn't. And it's truth that was on the table here. It was a kid who failed to have truth in his heart and not believe who he really was. And he let the enemy influence him and oppress him. But once truth settled in his heart, he was completely free. And so next week, we're going to discuss how we deal with the demonic, when to engage and when to back off, uh, what to do with demons, what to do to help people walk in deliverance, and how to make a demon-free household 
how to really make the devil a non-factor in our lives. So that's what we'll talk about next week. But today, it was really my heart to help us understand that we need to walk in truth, realize our position, and keep the peace of God in our heart. If we're going to guard against any attack from the enemy, it's those areas to walk with truth and to never be convinced otherwise. Well, family, let me pray for our time here this morning. I'm going to pray for your week. And then we're also going to intercede on those who are dealing with COVID and other sicknesses in our church. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for your goodness and your love. And I thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to continue uh, to do church together as we do it electronically, as there are some there who are in the sanctuary. Thank you for your presence. And thank you that your presence is not confined to a certain place. Thank you, Father, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we begin this conversation about spiritual victory, true spiritual warfare, thank you that you are fortifying in every single heart who we really are in you, truth, and our, our identity that is found only in you. Help us, God, to rise up with a spiritual boldness and a supernatural faith. Help us not to tolerate what the enemy is trying to influence us with in our world. Help us to stand strong and to guard our hearts above all else. I bless my friends and my family all within the sound of my voice here today. God, may you protect them. May you heal them. Every single one of us who are dealing with COVID symptoms, every single one of us who are dealing with discouragement, fear, those of us who are dealing with any type of ailments or diseases, thank you that by your stripes we were healed. Thank you that we have healing in you. Continue to work out that healing to be fully manifested in each and every one of us. And as we begin a new week, Father, we are not afraid to talk about the truth of spiritual warfare. Just because we're talking about spiritual warfare doesn't mean all of a sudden we're going to get attacked left and right. No, Father, we stand upon the truth that you are for us, not against us. No weapon formed against us can prosper and that you will work any evil and turn it around for our good. So we stand upon this truth. We rest assured and trust you completely, God. And as we start a brand new week, may we go in your love completely full of your power. Guide us and direct us and lead us in all that we do. Thank you for this time again. We love you. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, I love you, church family. I can't wait. I'm praying my test comes back negative on Thursday, and I can see you guys in person next Sunday. But have a wonderful, blessed day.